was 25 and a half, I started a podcast. The goal? To review some of the newest and the latest movies, along with some other stuff. With the help of my guests, I was able to do this. But there were dark forces tampering with my podcast. And with me. They called it an improvised podcast for some reason. I eventually found help in the form of myself. Yes, the me from a universe where the movies I reviewed got delayed. Apparently, my podcast made it to his universe. I know now that it is my duty, for the good of that universe, nay, the multiverse, to keep recapping and reviewing these movies, to hold listeners over until they could eventually see the movies as they were made in their world. For some reason, they come out differently in my world. But it's kind of entertaining that way. My name is Steven Schinder, and this is Delayed Replay. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we review things that got delayed in that other universe but came out on time in our universe. I'm your host, as always, Steven Schinder. And joining me once again for a Star Wars-related episode, you may have listened to him before. He has his own YouTube channel. He has his own podcast called Outer Rim Transmission. It is Star Raptor. What's up with you, man? Hello, Steven. A long time. No talk. Hey, everybody. Hey, listeners out there. I'm super hyped because it's Star Wars, right? I mean, this is my life and blood is I bleed Star Wars, right? So (laughs) this is is very appropriate for me to come back. I know we've been talking about the High Republic books, which I have held in very high esteem. Love what they're doing with that storytelling before the events of Phantom Menace. I'm loving what's going on with the current Mandoverse and everything revolving around that. So it's going to be a really great show. Me and my other self have been talking, but apparently like the High Republic books, there's a point where they kind of merge and become more similar. It it sounds very complicated, but that's kind of weird, right? But yeah, this time we're talking about another novel as it happens, and you kind of alluded to it already. It is The Mandalorian, an original novel by Adam Christopher. So in our universe, it came out December 2nd, 2020. So it's almost a year old. And I think it got delayed once and then got canceled because of like scheduling. Yeah, like this is an interesting one. Uh, But before we get into it, like how how much have you been enjoying like the Mando related content? Oh, I think it's fantastic, right? I mean, right now we don't have a lot of expanded universe content. Um, Believe it or not, this is actually the book first thing outside of the TV screens that we get to dive in with the Mando universe. But so far, what they've been doing, the world building, you know, that time in between Return of the Jedi and and the the, the Force Awakens is so fertile ground for storytelling. We just don't know what's happening. So to see characters popping up left and right from Clone Wars, some some legendary characters, this series really just opens Pandora's box, so to speak, of anything could happen, right? If you even have an inkling of, of some character maybe showing up, you know, there's a good chance it actually might show up, right? You have the showrunners of John Favreau, Dave Filoni. Those guys are there. They, they again, they live and breathe Star Wars themselves and see them put in tiny little details like quacking monkey lizards roasting on a spit or, you know, just crazy Macquarie art of, of spiders from like things that were never used, right? So they really are going deep, doing these deep cuts and not afraid to go there, not afraid to flex their their kind of uh, war muscles out there for the standard audience. And I think they've been really kind of treading the fine line of like, okay, not like overloading too much exposition, but you know, just giving people a taste of like, hey, like this character was from here. Like, hey, there's a whole Clone Wars series you can watch on Disney Plus. Go ahead and enjoy. So I think it's really been good for that. But it's also been a very compelling show, even from all the cool little tidbits of Easter eggs and whatnot. Just the actual format of the show, like every episode's meaningful. Yeah, they don't have to be hour long episodes to be effective. And they work just as well, right? That every 30 to 40 minutes every week where I get to sit down and enjoy Star Wars in a way I never would have thought of about 10 years ago, where it's like I'm actually at home watching new Star Wars that is live action. Like that would only be relegated to a theater experience. But I'm here just looking forward to every every uh, Wednesday, right? Just, hey, there's a new Mandalorian episode. Let's go check it out. And, and I love 
the the fan a craze of everybody every week just getting together on different podcasts and really just having a blast with it right because like the movie comes out you talk about it for three months or something like that whereas here we get that game of thrones water cooler kind of talk which i find is just so fun you know showing up at work on a thursday so my coworkers watch it hey what would you think about that or oh do you know about this you know i give them a little bit of tidbit of easter eggs like hey do you know this was from this or what'd you think about you know grogu doing that or, or what do you think could happen in the next episode it's those kind of discussions that really just make the series stand on its own and just become something that you don't need to actually watch the movies like i could recommend the mandalorian season one to just anybody on the street oh, if you watch a new hope i've heard of it but i have to watch it oh you don't have to go watch mandalorian it's all brand new characters sure they thread in new characters later on but it really is a great entry point a great gateway into other star wars content so right off the top that's my initial impressions of, of mandalorian i'm absolutely loving it it's definitely a crowd pleaser show. I admire how season one relied a lot on new characters. Like when they later brought in familiar characters, like sometimes it was hit and miss for me. But from the looks of it, it looks like most people love all of the cameos. And I guess I'm just a bit more critical about certain ones. Overall, the quality has been pretty good which is really refreshing for live action star wars and i love the weekly release schedule like i think the netflix model kind of needs to die in my opinion because like you drop a whole season everyone watches it within a week and then it gets confusing like oh which episode are you on this week and it's like people stop talking about it after like a week yeah. or two whereas like you said here with like these Disney Plus shows, like from Star Wars and from Marvel, you can talk about a different episode week to week. And I love that. And with Star Wars, it's very surprising that it took so long for there to be a live action series like any other franchise, like major franchise would have started like a live action TV series like a few years after the original movies ended like in the mid 80s we just had those two I, I say we as if we were alive back then but we weren't but uh, for the people who were around back then it's like after the movies ended they just had two Ewok movies and like a couple animated shows droids and Ewoks and then that was it and then in the 90s they sort of was like there was Star Wars literature before but from the 90s onward is when the expanded universe really started to feel more connected um like you had the bantam era and later the del rey era and uh star wars went from marvel to dark horse and then later marvel again during the disney buyout or after that actually mandalorian when i watched it for the first time it really felt like a live action expanded universe show you know like i kind of got that feel from like Rogue One and Solo felt like expanded universe movies, if that makes sense. Like this mm -hmm. felt like a, an expanded universe show with even focusing on newer characters at first, at least. And it's like, wow, well, you get like these different corners type of thing. And yeah, I, I think that's a really great way to like start shows like in general when you're doing with a big franchise like this. You're, you're dealing with characters a lot of aliens, a lot of new faces. And right. So, I mean, usually we have the, the saga films. You, you, everybody knows the characters that are involved with them. But now we we get all these new characters and it's suddenly these backwater planets of, of just bounty hunters. Right. We had all those great bounty hunter books from the 90s. I think they came out. Uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters and different things and, and countless yeah. afterwards. And it's like, this is my Star Wars. Like, I love the underworld i love when it comes to like these criminals and these organizations and these people just like just trying to get above the other person and, and trying to get these bounties and that way of life i find just so fascinating and we've gotten a tip of the iceberg storytelling with that you know with, with boba fett and the original trilogy and all that kind of thing so here we get to see the a day in the life of a bounty hunter and the bounty hunter that actually ends up having a heart in, in the end of things and actually having a lot more conflict than oh yeah you know how, how can i get behind a guy that's got a helmet on the entire show like how am i supposed to feel emotion for this character and let me tell you they actually pulled it off like the way that the different actors are in there the way that pedro pascal does his performance with vo 
it just is so compelling and it actually and all the movements yeah yeah it works a lot more than you would expect so yeah when we think of star wars like for many years there's been an emphasis on the force and lightsabers and stuff like that but when you look back at the original movie it's like a lot of it is you know tatooine and the scum and villainy of most Eisley and you know it's that western element and mandalorian really fed into that used that type of inspiration and it's not just using star wars as inspiration it's taking inspiration from the stuff that influenced star wars so yeah it, there's like some out of the box thinking every now and then and i really admire that about how they run the show oh yeah it's definitely definitely a great thing that disney plus let off with i think that really gives them a lot of eyeballs whether or not that it, if that didn't exist who knows what disney plus would be right now but it gives people the the passion it gives the people the idea like hey this could be done we could make this high caliber triple a um in video game terms experience for the small screen that can draw people in and here we are you know we're getting multiple seasons of other shows you know, a couple of years removed from the premiere of this show. So it just shows you like, OK, things are now starting to spiral and it is just going to be fun, like having a never ending stream of Star Wars content in basically 365 days, you know, 52 weeks a year, basically. Yeah, it's this truly is the golden age of Star Wars television, I think. Same with Star Trek, like all the stuff that they're putting out at such a frequent rate. It's like there's something for everyone now. By getting to the novel, so this is more of a prequel story because I guess they really don't want to try to accidentally contradict the show, which makes sense to me. And okay, so let's talk about the title first. Like, what do you think of the fact that they only titled it The Mandalorian, an original novel? Yeah, I, I don't know about the, the, the subtitle and original novel. I think they should just left it with The Mandalorian. But I would have, I mean, I ultimately would have liked another subtitle beneath that that explained a little bit, a little bit more, you know, somebody can come up with something a lot more creative than me, of course. But um, I mean, whatever. A title's a title. It's really what makes what what's inside those front to back cover uh, that really matters in the long run. So and, and all in all, I'm kind of indifferent, but, you know, they could have had a little spicier of a title, I guess. Yeah, I guess the original novel subtitle is to let people know like the casual people like looking through the books or whatever like letting them know that it's a new story as opposed to like a novelization of the show but i totally agree like it could have been a better subtitle like it could be simple like mandalorian begins or something like i don't know like i, I also kind of wondered if maybe they thought oh it's an origin story and the word origin is in original <laughs> like <laughs> I, I don't know if that was their thinking, but it's kind of silly if that was. <laughs> <laughs> and it really picks up from that flashback we got in the first season where Din Djarin and his parents, like like he's a kid and they live on this planet called Akvetina. And like, first off, we get like sort of a build up to the battle. Like we kind of see like their normal family life before there's all this conflict like what'd you think of how they depicted the family dynamic before all that yeah yeah so so quick kind of comparison now uh, just you know just dawned on me this book has a similar vibe to star wars um rebel rising yeah uh beth revis for the um basically the whole life of Jyn Erso, you know living with saul guerrera then going out on her own and forging her credentials and all that trying to just get by so it was pretty much like that. Like, okay, like here's here's Mando. We've seen the flashbacks. Let's let's you know do a couple chapters here, then do like a fast forward, a couple chapters here, and then it just eventually almost like really just ties into almost like that first episode where we just see him walking on that planet toward toward the cantina. So I thought right off the bat, like, okay, this is a great just like a you know one encompassing book. You know, this is not a series. It's just like okay, here's everything in his life. And I think it was written pretty interesting. But as far as like going into that first initial scene, that was a cool scene because I love how they did it in a show where like they gave you a little bits and pieces of it every couple episodes to like leave you wanting more. Like, okay, is it a droid? What what's gonna come after him? What's next? Oh, oh, it's Death Watch. You know, is Obi-Wan or is Ahsoka gonna come in and just wipe the floor at these guys? 
No. So we just, you know, we see that it's just the Death Watch, and we know the Death Watch as the hardcore fans know from, we're not even hardcore, but just the general fans know from from Clone Wars series. So I do like how they had that kind of inserted as like the focal point of, okay, this is how Mando's going to react. Like his parents literally are dead. What is going on with this kid's head? Like he's being like jetpacked to the sky from just complete strangers as he's never even seen before. I mean, he he's heard like myths of these soldiers with these T visors and they are very mysterious and are very great warriors, but he's never actually seen one in person and he has no idea what is happening. So I just like that first chapter of like being in his head of like this poor kid, like just not only is his kids, his parents getting, you know, just destroyed, but then he's actually getting taken by strangers. He has no idea what to even think about, you know? Yeah. And we learn a bit about his parents. Like his mom is some sort of mechanic and his dad is an accountant. Um, And he makes like these snide remarks about, how the banking clan are a mess or whatever. So it's a kind of funny humor there, like a little Mm. like levity before stuff hits the fan. That's a really good point about the, the the mother being a mechanic, because we do see in season two, like he's actually like repairing the razor crest. Same, same thing in season one, when the Jabba's are ripping apart, you see him actually giving a hand to kill. So, okay, it's cool. Like we're getting those little nuggets of like, Oh yeah. Like how, how was he so good at fixing the ship? Well, it's cause his mother told, taught him how, you know? Yeah. Like she seems to really have um passion for it. And like, she's very like into it. And it, like when he, like the way that it describes like the feeling he has when he's able to put stuff together it kind of reminds me of the feeling that fans like us have had, like putting Legos together or like even Star Wars puzzles. Like, I feel like this book, whether it's intending to or not, kind of taps into that feeling of what a kid Star Wars fan might feel at certain points. And yeah, as for the chapters, I thought it was an interesting choice that the book is made up of eight long chapters like you'll have a chapter that'll be like almost 30 pages and a chapter that'll be like over 50 pages and it feels like they're trying to echo the eight chapter structure of a season of the show which kind of made it difficult for me to like know when i wanted to take a break from reading a chapter because like these are like so long but uh that being said it still kept me wanting to read further so i guess it wasn't as much of a problem for me but i could kind of see how maybe other people would be like couldn't they have like divided it into even more chapters to make it easier type of thing yeah there was a little bit of okay like this chapter is you know because the book is almost like kind of like a biography it's like okay like from this age i was doing this and this age i did this so you have different moments in his life so yeah, that would have been that would have been a little bit more streamlined, I guess, if they can give us some more chapters in there. I do like I think I I go along with their train of thought was like, oh yeah, let's try to mimic as much as the feel for the for the series. Like you know, this is like you know negative eight, negative seven, negative five on our way up to like chapter one or whatever of of the actual series, <laughs> pretty much. We get the family dynamic, like they have some dinner that they eat that bread stuff that ray eats in the force awakens i can't remember what's called off the top of my head but i guess they have it here as well and apparently orange milk is a thing um i wonder if that tastes like orange juice or something but yeah yeah. because we have the thalassiren milk from uh last jedi with luke skywalker on octo obviously bantha milk on tatooine and it's like all right what's What's this orange thing? We I'm I'm very curious about what the creature <laughs> would look like um, that produces such orange milk. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like you know you're writing a Star Wars story. It's like okay, what do people drink? Oh, milk. That's a weird color, and they just like tack that in there, um, which I'm okay with. I guess like it, it does make you wonder like what it comes from at the very least. And yeah, it's just like a very nice dinner scene, like very peaceful um it's so weird because like he's a kid in this moment and he's talking about how he wants to go out and play with his friends the next day because like during the show itself i never imagined him having friends as a kid like it wasn't really something i thought about but 
it's like if he's a kid and he's in this village or town or whatever, it's like, yeah, of course the kids would like play with each other. And so did that sort of add a bit of something to him, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it did for sure. I mean, just knowing what what is happening as far as, you know, being from that that angle, knowing what he's doing there. Um, but I, I do like how the story gets started, right? Like, OK, we got we got that chapter. It's like, where did Death Watch go? Like, we see what happens. Like, they, they do actually like retell. Adam Christopher does retell the events of, of the Mandalorian at that moment where he's like, OK, he's hiding out in that like cellar. And then you hear. So it goes through the whole thing, of course. And then you actually get to see where the Death Watch goes. They're flying off to their forget what they're called as really cool looking Mandalorian fighters. I guess they're the Fang fighters or something like that. Um, and it turns out that the Death Watch, you know, they're actually hiding out on Nar Shada, right? Like, I was like, holy crap, like, I, I can't get enough of this planet. It's basically like <laughs> the Las Vegas planet of the Star Wars universe. You have a lot, you know, you have that showing up in the canon comics a lot, but we haven't still seen it on, on, on live action or animated form. So come on, guys, put that in there. But it's a lot of a lot of cool stuff happening because that's where. He gets his first taste of like the underworld, right? You got the different huts and the kids that are still in power there, all different sorts of aliens. And, you know, that's where the death, the death watch are just hiding out, right? They're trying, you know, at this point, it's kind of still in the Clone Wars. So they're still acting, you know, they're actually still reporting to Darth Maul or, or Maul at this point in time with the, the Shadow Collective is still sort of a thing. So there, you know, you get a, you get a really nice scene of one of the leaders, um, Gar Saxon actually, you know, seeing a hologram of of Maul. So you actually get to see like Din Djarin, like doesn't actually see Maul, but he actually like kind of hears like this mysterious voice when he's like trying to sleep at night in like the the barracks. Um, so I thought that was like a really cool nod, like, hey, they're they're tying everything together. You know, everything is high. So they're hiding out and they're just doing their jobs for for mall um and all that kind of stuff but a, a lot of like hit and run tactics uh, for a lot of like supply uh depots and things like that where they get in and out you know they get the jetpack and that's where where mandalorian he, he learns how to i forget the exact phrase of what the armor called it with the way he flies with the jetpack there's a certain term um like some cool ritualistic sounding like like verb for like using the jetpack or something like that but um in other in other words he he obviously gets taught all of all of those skills by uh, by Gar Saxon there. The audiobook for this, like you know, Mark Thompson narrates a lot of these things, but for the mall moments, they were able to get Sam Witwer to do like the mall dialogue in this. Like he was pretty much very happy to just do it, I guess, because you know Sam Witwer and mall, it's just it, it it's just peanut butter and jelly, I guess, goes together really well. <laughs> like I love how. Adam Christopher like retells the flashback because we see the fear in the people against like the super battle droids. And, you know, Din is wondering if his friends are alive or dead. And he never finds out for sure because like everyone's like running around and it's chaos. And when Death Watch takes him away, like he never like go, he never looks back and like doesn't know the fates of the people that he knew there. He just knows that like his parents are dead and he's like really sad about it. Like he really goes through the grief and it's like, you know, for a child, it's very traumatizing to have something like that happen. Uh, I guess it's kind of comparable to what Boba Fett went through when his dad was beheaded in the arena on Geonosis. You know, those Boba, that Boba Fett book that picks up like during and, after Attack of the Clones, that was pretty much my first expanded universe book. So it kind of felt very familiar reading through some of the similar motions in this book for me. Oh, yeah, definitely a lot of parallels between between those two characters as well. And just again, like, you know, he obviously your parents get killed in front of you. Basically, you're going to have trauma for like your entire life. Obviously, that's not going away. But the way he deals with it is through his training. So, you know, you have a couple montage type of uh, moments in there where he's he's going at it and it, it just like fuels his proficiency, I guess, is like him able to kind of channel channel his his grief. He's able to channel his grief and, and whatnot to make him a more proficient fighter. Um, so I like that detail of like, OK, 
like now, and this is what I like about about these books, right? Is now you have a little bit of inside information about his head. So now that I'm watching the Mandalorian, I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, th- this is what this is what Din Djarin is thinking as he's fighting these criminals. Like he's he's doing it for the right way for the right reasons, but he's also you know channeling his grief a little bit in, in doing so. We mentioned Rebel Rising earlier. It's like Jin after she witnesses her mother getting gunned down, and you know this book kind of feels like a mix between Catalyst and Rebel Rising. Like, you know, Catalyst began like during the Clone Wars and then continued afterwards. So it's like hard for me to not draw those parallels. But yeah, I kind of like how there's like this thematic thing going on. You know, it's this recurring theme in Star Wars where, you know, it's like really sad to see you have these young characters who get pulled into all these different conflicts. And it's like, they have to survive and in the process of surviving, like what will they become eventually? And that's essentially what becomes the question, like as you explore the adventures that they have throughout the rest of their lives, like over the years. Yeah. So that's, that's really like the, I guess like the second chapter or whatever, um, more into the middle of the book though, you do get, you do get that moment, right? You get the moment that we've all heard and thought about, speculated about that, where like the Mandos just basically got exterminated. We've all been figuring out, and you know, we thought, okay, maybe, maybe they'll show it to us first, right? Maybe they'll have it on screen first. Like it seems like a very important event, but they actually shocked me. They actually put this on the printed page first before we're going to see it. So I was like, holy crap, like this is worth the price of admission, just this like one chapter of like, how everything went down, right? What you? How was your reaction to like that fateful night? My reaction was, this is so well written, and I really hope that the TV show doesn't contradict how this plays out. <laughs> yeah, um, we've been seeing a little bit of that here and there with some canon comics and whatnot, which aren't a big deal. But yeah, no, I know. I mean, I was like, yes, oh, please, novel do with the flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, please don't mess this up. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, like, very brutal. Like, you know, it describes the fire everywhere and how, like, there's, like, some armor lying on the ground and it's hard to tell if it's alive or dead. And, like, you know, this kind of traumatizes Din even further. Like, you know, it's, like, you know, the thing that happens with his parents and then he does all this other stuff. This galaxy is just beating him down and it's, like, really sad. Yeah, I mean... I like how there was a tie-in to those Star Wars Rebels season four episodes with even back then they were developing like weapons to use against the Mandalorians on Mandalore where they would like literally like make them melt in their own Beskar armor. So to see like the evolution of that, to see all the E-webs, because I remember the show was like, yeah, you know, we used the E-webs to basically take you guys out. So we had the E-webs like super E-webs and then just like more of those like, um, mounted on atst type uh, weapons that would just literally like disintegrate everything but the armor so we just have the armor left like the husk of a mandalorian and then uh, they would like melt down the beskar to create for their war machine for the empire so it was like wow this is really dark i mean it's a good thing that delray made this novel because they couldn't get past this definitely not a middle grade novel Right. It does get really intense. And I like these tie-ins. You know, when when I look at the Star Wars timeline, I I love when, like, you can look at certain points of the timeline and be like, okay, that was happening there, which would eventually lead to this over here. And it's kind of cool, like, being able to make connections in the history of the galaxy. And it just makes it a bit more interesting, depending on the execution and there are like some really emotional moments where it's like you, like we said, we really get into Din's head. And there are moments where like, you know, when he's really young, he encounters some droids uh, and like these are like some droids that aren't really doing any harm. Like, you know, a- Astro droids and Gonk droids. And it's like mm-hmm. he he just hates all droids like every droid because yep. yep. the clone wars it's like he just gets out his gun and just shoots them like point blank and it's it mm-hmm. just reminds me of that really sad yes. moment at the end of clone wars season seven yeah there's so many great tie-ins to the different characters and different 
things going on that we got references to again like hey they're actually figuring out how this event goes and then you know towards towards the later half of the book we have mando kind of on his own because i mean that was that was a crazy scene when he actually manages to get away he gets he gets that patrol vehicle that mandalorian vehicle he, he finds it on Mandalore. like they're all mandalore when all this stuff went down um and he was able to like mess with the transponders of of the actual razor crests to make it what it is today, where it's like untrackable or whatever it is, as they mentioned in the actual series. So he's able to get away that way. And he goes to the only place he knew as home. And that was Narshada. He, had, he goes down there and, and and throughout the different like training exercises and missions, he went on with Death, Ma- Death Watch. He had built up like kind of like some, I wouldn't say friends, but more like contacts in the underworld. You know, so he knew a couple of huts. He knew a couple um, like the, I forget the one guy's name who was actually in episode number uh five or six of season one where he like meets that ragtag group with uh bill burr and the other guy so uh he knows those dudes uh, but he does go back to uh this area on on norshada that actually happens to be the residence of none other than stinky himself rod of the hut and it was like mind-blowing moment i was like oh my gosh like what is going on right this is this is huge <laughs> because it's like, why isn't this guy on, ta- you know, Tatooine ruling after his father's death, Jabba? Like he's there just living it up. And there's like this really great monologue with with Rada, who is like, uh, even though I'm destined to be this this, you know, kingpin of crime, I don't want to be, I, you know, I can make my own choices because at this point, he's basically like a teenager, right? Like Hutt's age very slowly. Like we see right. how old Jabba is. So he's barely like an adolescent at this point. He's going through some stuff. He's just like. No, I want to have fun. I want to be in Narshada where the light, you know, nightlife and everything is great here. And I'm just I'm just having a ball, just doing my own thing. So that that was really cool because like Mando goes up to him and is like, do you have any jobs, you know, any jobs for me or anything like that? Because they've been buddies in the past. Yeah, so any job as <laughs> ah, I ran into that one. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> It was really nice to actually see his whereabouts in the overall Star Wars story. Like, yeah, we've seen this guy in the Clone Wars, and that was literally it. Nowhere else is he in the timeline. Like, it kind of feels like we get the beginning and late middle of his story. Like, it kind of feels like there's still room for them to play in other parts of his life. Um, And, you know, maybe we'll get that in the in the Mandalorian video game or something that comes out next year as they announced at celebration last year, as we talked about here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so the whole focal point of this, is the turning point of the story, because up at this point, Mandalorian, Din Djarin, it's kind of aimless. He's like, I just need to survive. Like I'm just going from place to place to kind of survive. And he gets his one big job. So basically what happens is right of the hut refers him to the crime or syndicate, which man, oh man, they, they, these guys finally get their due. I mean, I've been hearing her name mentioned for the last six years in, in the new Del Rey era of Star Wars books. And it's like, yes, we finally get to see these guys or at least hear about them. And so they, they give him the ultimate job and they get this job, this bounty from like the Empire or like the remnants of the Empire. It's like this very secretive thing, as we know from the first season of Mandalorian, like nobody's supposed to know the Empire's around. So anyway, they, it's like secondhand information that this Crimea syndicate guy gives to Dinjarn of there's actually a Jedi that survived Order 66 that has been giving the Remnant Empire a hell of a time. And it's revealed that's none other than Mace Windu. Mace Windu is like basically like cyber, half cybernetic, and he's been he's been going around the depths of Coruscant just causing havoc. You know, nobody knows it's actually Mace. Like he's he's always like cloaked like they they gave him a, a specific nickname. Um, I really, I really, I really enjoyed that that nickname. What What did you think about the nickname they gave Mace Windu? They nicknamed him Amethyst, right? Because they thought that the color yeah. of his lightsaber was amethyst. I'm not sure if it actually is, but it's you know it's purple and it sounds cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like that's what they go with. Yeah, so basically what what Mando has to do is like he has to kind of go on a side quest sort of thing if it would be a video game or he has to make a detour to Felucia. There's a laboratory there that was a Republic era laboratory that was very specific um, to give him the proper tools. There's like a special uh, 
special device that he's able to use that would give him like an advantage against a Jedi. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool because I mean, this is really the story of how we know that Mandalorian can fight Jedi because we see how adept he is when he fights Ahsoka Tano there on that, that world in season two. It's like, okay, like this guy's obviously fought Jedi before. This is actually that story. And, and going into this novel up until this point, I was like, all right, I'm waiting for that turning point moment. I'm waiting for like the thesis of this book. Like, what is this book about besides being just like the the life of Mando between him being, you know, carried away by the Death Watch and him showing up to that place? Like, no, it's it's a it's literally a match with him against Mace Windu. I gotta admit, like when they brought Mace Windu into the story, that's when it started to kind of lose me. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, they're doing that in the oh i was so i was like come on i'm I'm (laughs) story like i'm gonna lose sleep on reading this story and i literally read this book in like two days it was bad i was like right like i was like i'm done honestly like he put this thing in a book as like it's just a really (laughs) insane choice and like bringing mace windu back to life bringing like as it seems like you know feeding into those fan theories but um (laughs) well like another thing i was kind of worried about was how well this would interface with the tv show because you know in the show it seems like din maybe doesn't know the term jedi from what i remember but he knows about like enemy sorcerers and so like some some of the terminology they use here like um when he's told about it he's like they don't specifically say order 66 they call it the purge uh, which is essentially the same thing. And they talk about how like it was a purge of sorcerers and one of them survived. And uh, basically, like, that's why, you know, he never like, I don't think the word Jedi appears in this book, uh, from what I remember. So I guess for kind of trying to adhere to it, like, it's kind of like, it feels kind of loose, right? It's like, okay, I guess you kind of are falling in line with the show but also this feels like a little bit of a stretch type of thing like you know when watching the show i never thought that oh din Djarin has fought a jedi head-on let alone mace windu <laughs> yeah um, it was um it was cool though because i like how they go with the terminology that they call him like a wizard has been causing havoc in the underworld like the level 13 13 yeah, and he's like, isn't wizard just a term that kids use to say cool or something? And it's like, well, this is what the actual word means. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so from there he goes, he he gets he gets this device. And here's the thing with Mace Windu, right? He's, he has a specific form called the Vespod form, which is like he... He kind of cha- he, he kind of like sees he kind of channels the dark side a little bit. Oh, the pad. Yeah, the pad. Yeah, sorry, the pad. So he kind of channels like the power. This very he created this form himself. Him and his padawan Depapalaba like created this form where it was very specific to them, but it also harnesses like Mace Windu's willingness to like dip into like the dark side just a little bit for power. So that w- that was interesting. They also like tied into the Shatterpoint novel where like Mace Windu is able to actually like see like the puzzle pieces that he imagines it as like a crystal, like a, there's a crack in the foundation or something where he could actually like see the weakness in something specific. It could either be like a, a single person or like an entire government. He's yeah. able to like, basically help overthrow just with the way he's able to utilize the force and how it calls to him specifically. It's a very rare trait for a Jedi to have. So basically he's able to get this thing that's going to take that away from him. So Mandalorian went down to this laboratory because the separatists, the separatists were using this device to kind of minimize the effectiveness of the Jedi's power from the force. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow people completely forgot this laboratory was down there. It's like, wait, how do you just forget this thing exists? Like Shatterpoint is one of my favorite legends novels. Like it, very much feels like a war story and kind of taking inspiration from like some of those really dark like uh what's it called heart of darkness or or apocalypse now type of story and you know back when the kanan comics originally came out uh, you know they deal with 
um, Depa Balaba coming out of a coma, I thought they were going to make her very conflicted and make some of that Shatterpoint novel, like some of its events canon, but instead Depa Balaba was just not conflicted or anything. Like it, Like, I guess in canon, she does not commit war crimes. So like, it's just that she got injured by Grievous in the canon continuity. So in that regard, I was kind of let down by that part of the canon comics. I don't know. Like, I'm still able to enjoy, like, Shatterpoint on its own, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit... Uh, that's where the inconsistency comes from with a with a legend story. But then comparing it to something in the current timeline of the canon and all that, so... I mean, Mace Windu in Legends and canon are, like, two different characters to me. Like, I, I feel like in canon, they emphasize his negative aspects a bit more like you know how he's like ev- supposed to be like everything that's wrong with the jedi order whereas in legends i remember there are moments here and there where he felt really bad about certain things and they hammer that a bit more so yeah it's interesting to see how different people d- depict these characters across the different continuities but yeah in this laboratory we get another legends reference like there's this armor that is said to be full of some sort of liquid like underneath the plating like like it's sort of like circulating through it and this liquid is said to be synthetic isalamiri blood like you know those creatures from the thrawn trilogy like i guess they're able to get blood from isalamiri and sort of duplicate it somehow like use its properties so that when someone puts on this armor it sort of creates a bubble through which uh jedi wouldn't be able to like use the force against them as easily that was cool um coming back to the good old throne trilogy that a lot of a lot of current stars has been kind of leaning more towards of, as of late so that's it that, i mean that's the focal point like we got we got the armor we go back to coruscant and it's just it's the it's a nice trip because you get to see what Coruscant looks like after like the fall of the empire. And that's, it's just an absolute chaos. Like, yeah, you can actually see where the empire actually held things together pretty well. And once they're gone, it just evolves into like a completely just messed up place. And that's why we see that the, the new Republic never ended up setting up their government there again, because they're like, let's just get out of this hellhole here <laughs> somewhere to like Chandrilla or, Uh, Yeah, like it's become a literal dumpster fire type of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is the cool part, right? I mean, a lot of this book is cool for me, but I'm really just like, okay, we got got Din Djarin. He's on like his, like, I wouldn't say his first mission, but it's definitely his first mission against a Jedi. So he's very green when it comes to just trying to track these down, but he's being as professional as possible. He means no business. You know, he, he does no funny business with this job. It's very... He's very disciplined and, you know, he goes down into the cellar and, uh, well, this is where he first spots the wizard. Dark in the cellar and then it describes how, like, suddenly there's a purple light and that's when, like, the fight starts. And it's, like, really touch and go. Like, he's really trying to avoid the lightsaber because, you know, like, as much as, um, you know, with the Isalamiri armor thing like whatever it was they called it like it can like keep someone safe from the force but it doesn't block lightsabers so you still have that threat going on here yeah i i do want to back up for a moment because this part was super cool so before you even see the amethyst blade light up you just see like out of the corner of this room just like a red eye like a red glowing eye and then, and then the, the the purple saber lights up like kind of near his face, and you just like see like half of his face is just like looks like literally cyborg from like the DC universe, and you see he's got like the metal hands, and it's just like oh my gosh, this is this is the most Windu that I've always wanted to see. I'm like, oh, we need to get we need to get like some good concept out of what this actually looks like here because this is badass i mean it also reminded me of baylor valance you know who originated in the original marvel star wars comics and has been in the more recent marvel star wars comics so yeah it's kind of weird how like that cyborg character was around in 
those older comics before and, and like fought Vader. And this was before mm-hmm. Vader himself was confirmed to be a cyborg. So it's like retroactively, it became a bit more symbolic, at least to someone like me who like knows like, you know, the stuff that's been confirmed <laughs> since then. And it's like, oh, that's kind of poetic, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it goes back and forth, back and forth. There's there's just a lot going on here. I think um I did get a little bit lost with with uh, the writing with Adam Christopher. I feel like I, I I've definitely read better lightsaber duels or or confrontation with Jedi. I, I I felt like I got a little bit lost. The pacing was okay. There was there was a few things of dialogue thrown back and forth, but it it just seemed like it was over so fast. I was like, really? Like like Mace Windu like. Jedi Council member gets defeated by this Mandalorian that quick. I was like, hold on a second here. I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is up until this point. I was loving this book. And then just the, the resolution to this whole encounter just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, you know? Yeah. And some of the wording was a bit repetitive during this duel. Like I kept saying he ducked and then he parried and they ducked and then he parried and it was like just over and over. And, <laughs> you, you know, like I don't. There's a fine line, you know, like there are certain words that you can repeat for emphasis to sort of like keep on hitting on something thematically that you want to emphasize. But other times, depending on how you do it, it can get really annoying. You know, I think back to Thrawn alliances where we keep kept getting double vision, you know, with Darth Vader's thoughts. Uh Like, I know it's hard to write duels like these, but. I don't know. I kind of feel like it could have been described better. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as alive or dead, right? I mean, that's that's a bounty hunter for you. It's like, all right, alive or dead. What do you think about the choice that that Din Djarin made here at the end of things? I mean, it's kind of an ethical dilemma for him because it's like he hates droids. But it's like, is this guy technically a droid? Like if he has these cybernetic parts and it's very much like the duality that he's facing and he's like really in his head about it and he's like am i doing a service by getting rid of a droid or am i just being a cold-blooded killer and you know like as we've gotten to know din and like by the time of the show he has like no qualms like cutting someone in half and then it's grogu who sort of changes him a bit like reminds him of the beating heart that's within him but here it's like you know he's really trying to decide whether this is the type of person he wants to be keeps thinking back to that memory of you know the super battle droids and how they took down his parents and he just feels this raw anger with him within himself you know this is the dark side within him like he's not a force user but the dark side can corrupt non-Four Caesars. And I really liked how this book touched upon that without really saying it outright. You know, it was like show, don't tell type of thing. And he decides to like go through with it. So he like is ready to pull the trigger and then Mace's dying words are, I will not be the last. And then like he shoots him and he's dead. Um, And then he's like, oh, shit. Like he thinks to himself like later on, like he kind of wonders if maybe he should have let him finish that sentence uh, because like he's kind of worried that like maybe there are other enemy sorcerers or something. And, you know, this this also like fueled some speculation, like. Uh, lots of people online are saying, was he going to say the last Jedi or was he going to say the last Windu? Because like the, there's a um, fan theory that like, I, I don't know if other people came up with it as well, but I certainly thought of it. The one where like instead of Jeru's Sabaoth, maybe there will be a Mace Windu evil clone in like Wow. the mando era shows and so this kind of got me wondering like whether this could be related to that like is it the real mace windu like it's hard to tell because like we don't really get in his head like we're pretty much just in din's head throughout this whole book like what do you think yeah i think it's well first off uh going back to your prior point about the whole correlation where it comes around full circle with him relating mace windu to like the terrors of his you know his previous 
life basically of like living with death watch and his parents getting killed i thought that was great that that's when this book started to get me back on board again because i was like oh like what adam christopher did there he's bringing it back like it's literally like it's poetic like okay he's he's dealing with that and this is going to be a moment in his life that he's going to look back on this is a like a turning point right it's like okay this is one of the biggest jobs i'm ever going to do and it's from this point on where i have to make the decision of life or death and in that case he, he chooses death just to be on the safe side because like i think part of the reason is like how the hell am i going to get this guy back alive when he's a freaking jedi master like how is the logistics of transporting a jedi on my vessel going to be a possibility so I went into the decision making there yeah and i will admit the pros did get a bit cheesy like when it said Din had been with the Death Watch, and now he had to watch the death. And, you know, that just sounded like really corny, you know, like really cheesy and goofy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I got to give him a hand because he definitely pulled off something I think was all-encompassing. Difficult to write a story that's this fast, that really goes from one point of the character's life all the way to, like, several several years later where we see a literally this is like a bridge content book it goes from see mando how he starts off you see where he ends up and you know you you get those little easter eggs in there where he returns back to narshada he goes to the the crimora so they get he gets the information then he goes back to rada hut just to hang out rada hut says hey you know there's this there's this technology um that's out there and it's this carbon freezing technology that's actually made portable now and basically, Mando spends all the credits he earns on the actual carbon freezing upgrade. Yeah, like he gets it installed into the Razor Crest. There is sort of like a montage, right? Because he does like go and, and do a couple adventures, getting a, a couple people in in the actual Carbonite, and he's like, "I could get used to this," you know. You know, he doesn't say much in this book, but I I, I, I like that. It's just like, yeah, carbon freezing. I could get used to this. I can make a lot of money with this. And then, and then, and then he flies to the the frozen planet. Yeah, like it's kind of like a little. It's it's like a few paragraphs that span a bunch of time. It seems, and it's like you could fit some other adventures like in between these different bounties that sort of alludes to. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's an interesting way of doing it. Sort of getting him from a to b or b to c or whatever and admittedly it is prequel stories there is that temptation to end it right before the thing it's a prequel to i think sometimes it is done really well like rogue one obviously uh the thing prequel i would say but there are other times like the red dragon movie or like some other things where it's like, Hey, you didn't really need to end it like right before the thing. It's a prequel to like, it's a bit fan servicey, but mm-hmm. he, but, but here I guess it, it's sort of in the middle for me. Like, you know, we mentioned the planet that he's going to, and uh, it's like, it doesn't end with him like literally knocking on the door. It's Mark. Okay. I guess that's, the place that he's going to that's in episode one of the show and it's like okay like i guess they kind of found a middle ground for it like i'm neither in love with it nor feeling down about it like it's just kind of there and it's like okay i guess that's how they end this book yeah yeah i mean overall with this book i was satisfied i got out of it what i wanted to i was very surprised about mace windu i thought that was a really cool callback I am very surprised to say that, like, they put such a big character in a book. I'm like, okay, I guess literally, um, suffi- you know, whether or not he's posting on social media, I guess we'll never be able to get Sam Jackson back to do this. So they're like, oh, let's just throw him in a book, you know? <laughs> yeah, unless they do the cloning storyline after all. Like, it, it's hard to tell if this is sewing or setting the stage for something or if this is just a throwaway thing where they're like okay we're never gonna do this so we'll just put it in this book type of thing like it's kind of hard to tell even like all this time after it's been released so like i don't know i guess we'll have to see yeah 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 but uh yeah so overall i i think this is a an enjoyable book if you're a mandalorian fan i would definitely highly recommend picking it up is it it's an absolutely essential 
Not really, but it's it's a lot of fun. And it, again, seeing the underworld from from Din Djarin's perspective, seeing his transition from being in Death Watch to a bounty hunter, I think it's a very it, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool story that we have now. And I thought it was very bold of Adam Christopher to include that part toward the end where, you know, in dialogue, Din is like, I'm getting really sick and tired of all of these Star Wars. It's like, oh, they they finally had a character within Star Wars to say the I, word Star Wars. <laughs> I literally was like about to close. I, I like literally closed the book. I was like, they did it. They finally found the guy to do it. There it is. Yeah, now they just need to do it on screen. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if we'll get to that point, but we'll, we shall see. The future is ever moving. Yeah, so I, I guess with that, we can go into final thoughts and score out of 10 and unit of measurement. So, uh, Starraptor, what are your final thoughts and score for The Mandalorian, an original novel? Yeah, The Mandalorian, an original novel, Stephen, is a story that I was waiting for for a long time and it simply it didn't disappoint right seeing rod of the hut seeing those connections to like okay why isn't he in the book of boba fett like why is he just not involved oh it's because he's just being a rebellious adolescent hut that just wants to have his own life so i i thought that whole part was cool i like just the whole um themes of mandalorian and, and loyalty and uh just going ahead and pushing forward you know having that perseverance just the bravery and the courage that we see that, you know, we see like the little glimpses of Din Djarin and how it'll factor into like season two with Grogu. So, you know, he's got a very hard exterior, but there are a few moments that you could actually start to see like that season two Din shining through through that Beskar armor. But, you know, Mace Windu, I think that certain action sequences could have been done a little bit better. Some things left my head scratching like, oh, yeah, like, you know, how could the, the Empire not find the Separatist? facility and get the weapons and all that kind of thing with the with the isalamari um but it was good because it, it, it really wrapped together a lot of things whether it be the thrawn books the crimora syndicate all those cool little easter egg and nuggets i was like yeah adam christopher he's a fan of star wars for putting all that stuff in there so overall i'm gonna go ahead and i am going to my my score scale let's see what should i make it i'm going to give it um eight best guard bricks out of ten nice yeah, this book was one where, you know, there are some books where they have a really good story, but you have to like really pay attention to like, you know, keep your focus on the page reading from beginning to end. This was one where my eyes were like clinging to every word because I wanted to know like what would happen. And I was following along with it pretty well. Like I didn't really need to flip back or reread something or whatever. But that being said, the story, like I enjoyed most of it, but then I, it kind of lost me a bit with the Mace Windu stuff. Uh, I feel like how I end up feeling about that in the end could hinge upon like what they might end up doing in the TV shows later on. So it kind of feels like I don't like even after all this time, I'm still not sure if I have a final verdict on how much I like the story, but it's still an interesting psychological study of Din Djarin as a character, you know, from kid to adult. And uh, I could see how like the time skips could make this feel a bit disjointed, but I still enjoyed much of what I read of like what he was thinking and what he was going through like trying to deal with his trauma and all that so at this time i think i'm gonna give this 7.7 .7 out of 10 gonk droids yeah that'll do it uh thanks again star raptor where can people find all your stuff oh thank you very much steven it's always a blast jumping on here and talking star wars and and whatever else we usually talk about because um, it's not just that all the time. But you can follow me on my primary um, way of promotion is is YouTube. I do YouTube content creation. I do a lot of Star Wars videos. I've been doing some movie reviews. I have um, some other fall movies that have come out that I've reviewed. You can check that out, youtube.com slash Starraptor. Um, and I also have a weekly podcast that Steven mentioned off the top of the show. It's called Outer Rim Transmission. And we go live on YouTube, but you can also listen to us on any of your favorite podcast streaming services. We are Star Wars Podcast, where we just generally 
break down whatever breaking news came out that week. We do like a little rundown of, hey, you know, what came out this week, comics and books and all that kind of thing. And we usually review whatever came out that week on Disney Plus or eventually, hopefully, in the theaters again. So you can feel free to jump in and, and listen to us and, and also um, interact live because we do have that chat open on YouTube. So we'd love to see you guys participate um, in that as well. But once again, thank you so much for having me tonight, Stephen. Yeah, people can go ahead and check out Star Actors channel. I'll go ahead and include the links in the show notes like usual. And yeah, yeah, the you of that other universe reviewed Eternals because it just came out like recently over there. And it's like, yeah, I, I think the you and I of that other universe are both like not really feeling that one, which is uh, kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of valleys um, and not as many peaks in that movie for me if I want to put it that way disappointed still think it's still my least favorite MCU movie so great I don't really like dislike any MCU movie but this one I just can't get behind yeah the me over there says it's his least favorite MCU movie as well but yeah like lots of Dizzy Plus stuff coming uh, we're actually recording like the day before Dizzy Plus day so it'll be interesting seeing what gets announced here and over there I guess um but yeah um that's always fun uh so thanks again and people can contact this podcast at delayed replay podcast at gmail.com let us know your thoughts on reading i don't know uh star wars like (laughs) anything um and we might read your thoughts on the show you can follow me at steven schinder on instagram and twitter steven schinder storytelling on facebook you can go to stevenschinder.com, look up info on my novel Lemons of My Rain. It's available on Amazon, and I'm really making progress uh, making final revisions to the next book. So, uh, yeah, that'll be out sometime next year. And there's, I really feel that there's like momentum with it, finally, with how I'm using my time recently. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I guess that'll do it. And the next episode of this podcast will be about Star Wars Holiday Special 2 coming to Disney Plus on November 17th in our universe. Um, I guess it's not a thing in that other universe, which is weird. But uh, anyway, without further delay, have a good day.